Why are we studying Luke today when we're in a series on the book of Judges? Eh, No real reason. Actually, there is a reason. Uh, Here's my thought. Every now and then uh, throughout the series, we're going to take what I would call a palate cleanser Sunday. And uh, so this is one of those Sundays. And then also, my thoughts on Mother's Day is this. Um, Once upon a time, I, I had a sermon with 15 points on what it meant to be a godly mother. And then I got a little older, and it got narrowed down to six. And then I got older, and it got down to three. And now, you're on your own. Uh, I'd like for motherhood to be a more regular part of our application diet rather than just one Sunday a year. And Mother's Day is also a great day to invite loved ones to come to church with you. And so, for those reasons, on this Sunday, I want us to focus explicitly on Jesus Christ. And so, we're in Luke 8 verse 22 through 25 this morning, and uh, it's going to be a good time together, all right? Uh, I'm always impressed when I see people who put training to use in high-pressure situations. It seems to me in my limited perception that over the past 10, 15 years, we've heard a lot in the media about our special forces. This is a group of people who train for every possible scenario. When they have a mission, They don't just go through the plan to accomplish the mission. They also train for every possible mess up, every crisis that might happen in the implementation of that mission. So whatever crisis arises in the moment, they've trained for it. They're ready for it. Or at least they've thought about it from some different perspectives. And so that's impressive to me when we hear stories about our special forces carrying out their work uh, and all the different variables that come up, how well they respond, how quickly they respond in the crisis moment. Now, this is probably the only reason why I can't be a special forces member, a Navy SEAL. The only reason, I'm sure... Uh, is because when crisis arises, it's hard for me to revert to my training or to think logically. I, I normally resort to slap fighting and high-pitched squeals. That would be unbecoming of a Navy SEAL. I'm sure. Ah! Um, but special forces, they know how to handle crisis right. That's what they train for. That's their training. So they are experts in the moment of crisis. Here's something that's true about us. We are not special forces Christians. What I mean by that is crisis is not a natural place for us. It's not that place where you and I are training regularly, thinking regularly. How will I handle it when the the phone call comes, the diagnosis is given, uh, when life is turned upside down? Uh, What normally happens for us is a crisis in life results in a crisis of faith. So crisis hits and we're left asking questions like, why would Jesus allow this? Why would I trust Him? Why would I stop and pray? Why would I look for direction in Scripture? Why wouldn't I fear and despair and worry in the midst of all of this? Crisis throws us out of balance. It leaves us disoriented. We've got a load of whys and not so many answers But Jesus makes the difference in that moment. In the crisis moment, the Christian isn't expected to have every answer. The Christian is expected to have a direction, and that is a Christ-centered direction. 
So today we're going to read a brief but intense moment in the life of Jesus and his disciples. The disciples face a crisis in Luke chapter 8, verse 22, and they fail. They have a failure of faith, and hopefully you and I are going to learn this morning from their negative example. My goal today, if we study this right, is for you to be convinced to trust in the saving power of Jesus when your crisis arises. The hard day comes, and I want your first move to be towards Jesus who has rescued you from your sin, who has saved you for eternity. I want us to be explicit in this. The hard day comes, I'm running to Jesus Christ. So I want to give you from this very brief story four reasons to trust Jesus when your life is in chaos. Here's the setting. It's fairly early in Jesus' ministry. Uh, He is traveling and doing ministry in a region called Galilee. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. He's performing miracles. And then on this particular day, Jesus and his disciples get into a boat and they sail across the Sea of Galilee. Our passage will call it the lake. They sail across the Sea of Galilee to another location. Now, just to give you a frame of reference for the size of the Sea of Galilee, from north to south, it's about 13 miles long. So that's from the north end of Hingham, say, world's end, as the seagull flies to downtown Pembroke. That's 13 miles straight line, north to south. Uh, The Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide, east to west. So from our church, again, flying east to downtown Situate, it's about eight miles. It gives you a scope for how large this lake is. And it's deep, too, about 140 feet deep. And so if you're in your handmade boat on this giant lake and a storm comes, and your boat starts to sink, there's not many options left for you. You're in big trouble. So a crisis arises. Jesus and the disciples are in the boat. Follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. I want to show you four reasons to trust Jesus in the midst of your chaos, your trials this morning. The first reason in a trial you would turn to Jesus is this. Jesus sees the situation right. Why would I trust Jesus? He sees the situation right. He sees it different than you do, better than you do, more fully than you do. He's the one to trust Now, these disciples, they've been in boats before. In fact, several of them had made their livings from boats. So to be in a boat and to be in the water and to even be in a storm is not something new to them. They've been in these situations before, but there's something different about this storm. And their conclusion about the storm is stated clearly when they wake up Jesus. They say, we are going to drown. We're going to die. They look at the situation, they assess it all. Their conclusion, based on the facts they see, is death is imminent. Now, uh, 
It's true, the storm is overwhelming, their, their knowledge is outmatched by the storm. All these things seem serious and scary, and it does seem that, yeah, death is around the corner. But it just shows us how poorly they see the situation compared to Jesus. Now, just for future reference, if you and I are ever in a situation where death is coming and I'm taking a nap, just let me nap. Just let me sleep it off. No need to wake me up. It's all right. Just be nice and let me sleep and we'll be okay when we wake up in glory. Uh, But the disciples, they think, this is it. So was their assessment fair? Yeah, sure it was fair. They're terrified. Their assessment tells them certain things. It's It's a fair assessment. Was it accurate? Far from it. They didn't see the situation correctly. With all their knowledge, all their sailing knowledge, fishing knowledge, weather knowledge, they were unable to see the situation correctly. So it is with you and I. When the crisis comes up in our lives, I promise you, Jesus sees it better than you and I. Jesus sees it clearer, more distinctly. He knows everything about the situation far better than you and I do. You and I operate with a certain set of facts. Here's the crisis. Here's how it should be. Here's how I think it ought to be fixed. I'm going to die, whatever the thing is. We draw our conclusions, and I promise you, Jesus sees it better than we do. We have problems with faith. There's a couple of common problems when it comes to trusting in Jesus in the crisis moment. One problem is this. We believe that knowledge of God's plan will improve our faith. If I just know where this is going, if, if I know what God's doing and why he's doing it and how long this will last and what will be accomplished in me, if I know these things, I'll be able to trust better. Jesus, give me knowledge so I can know. And to be sure, Christian faith is an informed faith. There are things we know. There's a whole lot more that we don't. We want knowledge, not faith. We want God to give us the answers to give us the direction, to tell us exactly what's going to happen and assume that our faith will then be purer and better and stronger. But he wants you to have faith, not the plan, just the faith to know that he's going to take care of you. Another problem with our faith, a mistake we make in the crisis moment, is we we think we would have better faith if God would only follow our plans. God, my faith in you would be greatly improved If you will follow my 12-step plan to get me out of this hot mess, in Jesus' name, amen. We seem to assume that faith means dictating to God how the problem gets resolved. But if you and I cannot see the situation right, how can we possibly see the solution right? So grateful that God is this patient with me and with you that we'll come to him When the day is hard and we'll say, God, here's how I think this ought to be fixed. Here's how equilibrium is put back in place. And God knows how short-sighted and how narrow and how vastly incorrect that prescription is. And in his grace, he just gives us a gentle no. And he goes on about his good and perfect rescuing work in our lives. It's a sad thing when we turn God into the servant. And if we don't see it right, we don't see the situation right, there's no way we can prescribe the solution right. We've got to trust God even though we don't know what's next 
And although God doesn't follow our script, faith says, I trust you no matter what. I don't know where this is going, but I trust you because he sees the situation perfectly. He knows the scope of the trial. He knows how you'll be tested. He knows the lifespan of the trial. He knows how much grace and strength and endurance you require for this trial. And he knows that he has already won this battle over evil. He sees it better than you. You've got to trust him when the crisis comes. Let me give you a second reason to trust Jesus in the crisis moment. The second reason is because Jesus is a trustworthy deliverer. He's a trustworthy deliverer. When the disciples wake up Jesus, Jesus has some options. He doesn't, he's not obligated to quiet the storm. He's got some options. He could say to the disciples, just five more minutes. Just let me sleep. Five more minutes. And we'll take care of it later. He could say, yeah, I know there's a storm. It's because of your lack of faith. Now eat the water. They could have woken him up and he said, a storm? I'm out of here. See you guys later. And he just takes off. He's got options as to what he can do in this moment. The last thing the disciples expected was for Jesus to speak words to the storm and the storm to stop. They didn't wake him up and say, Jesus, would you come quiet the wind and the waves? That solution is not on anyone's radar. They don't even know it's an option. They don't ask him to save them in this account. But this is exactly what Jesus does because Jesus is a deliverer. There's not one person in human history who could say, I trusted in Jesus and he let me down. Jesus is a trustworthy deliverer. When we are in crisis and we don't know the solutions and we can't imagine the solutions God has in store, Jesus still is this kind of Savior. He's a deliverer. He's bent that way. That's the work that He does for us at the cross. He's a Savior that delivers us in the midst of the crisis. And we cannot imagine the ways He will do it. We cannot imagine the beauty He will bring in the midst of our ashes when he quiets the storm, not one disciple on that boat goes, Ha ha, I told you! I knew he'd do it! Not one of them. They're all baffled by the power and the deliverance of Jesus in this moment. He's a trustworthy deliverer. You cannot forget it. And so he calls us to put our faith in him no matter what. I want to tell you about some friends of mine named Dwight and Lenny Saunders. And we might have a picture of Dwight and Lenny here on the screen. Lenny on the left, spelled L-I-N-N-Y. Dwight on the right, Saunders, S-A-U-N-D-E-R-S. And uh, Dwight and Lenny are in their late 50s. Dwight, for the majority of his career, has been a pastor in the Foursquare denomination. And as a, just a part of their walk with Jesus, they've been involved in orphan care for many, many years. Uh, they have many biological children of their own. They have many more adopted children, and just about all of their adopted children have some form of special needs. I cannot tell you how many children they have. I have lost count. Honestly, I do not know. Uh, they're always, always bringing in. It's a special ministry and calling that God has given them. 
So in 2011, Dwight was in Uganda with his daughter Emma, and they're doing some work in an orphanage, and a baby was dropped off at the orphanage on this particular day. This next picture is a picture of Dwight holding the baby. She was uh, close to death, to say the least. They would later, later assess that she was about 11 months old. Uh, the day they got her, she weighed six pounds. Someone had found her abandoned in a garden and then brought her to the orphanage. Next picture is a picture of their daughter Emma holding the baby on the day that the baby was dropped off at the orphanage. And uh, Dwight and Emma thought, this is it. We're, we're going to give this child some dignity. We're going to trust Jesus in this moment and we'll help her die in some loving arms. They fed her slowly, hour by hour, through those first days uh, using a medicine dropper. And to their surprise, this little girl got stronger and stronger as every day passed. They didn't expect it. She defied their expectations. Uh, Dwight talked to his wife, Lenny, back home in the States about it, told her about the baby, and they made a choice. If God will open the doors, we're going to adopt this baby and bring her home. They gave her a name. Uh, They call her Ruby Grace. And then visiting doctors, she received a diagnosis. Her diagnosis is hydrocephalus. Hydrocephalus is an excess buildup of cerebrospinal fluid in the brain. It compresses the brain and it leads to blindness, uh, impaired physical function, mental disability, um, a, a whole host of issues. Compounding Ruby's situation, she had hydrocephalus in multiple locations in her brain and also that fluid had become infected so it had eroded parts of her brain. As the doctors ran scans and tested and looked at her, their diagnosis was sober and and it was grim. Uh, Ruby, they said, will never communicate. Uh, She will never have really a very good quality of life. She will never be able to move or to function. She will just lay there and blink and breathe and her heart will beat until it doesn't beat anymore. And Dwight and Lenny, they trusted Jesus in this. And they had no reason to doubt the doctors. The doctors were compassionate. The doctors were kind. The the doctors were believers. And part of their testimony is about the incredible care they received from these doctors. But in that moment when they got the prognosis, they had no reason to doubt it. That's what they thought might be the case. But still they said, our faith is in the Lord who brought this girl into our lives. And so they committed We're going to trust the Lord every step of the way. We don't know what's going to happen. We've got no guarantees. She could die any day. They just walk with the Lord in this season. Uh, They get her home, and Lenny, she is a fiery woman, a determined woman. And so in that first month, she began to work with Ruby once they got her home to the States. And within that first month, Ruby had learned two signs Doctors were baffled. She shouldn't be able to learn these things. She shouldn't be able to communicate in any way. And yet, she was. And little by little, over time, they have trusted in Jesus as Jesus in His grace has shown them miracle after miracle. Let me show you a picture of Ruby today. Here's Ruby. And uh, Ruby can roll and she can smile 
and she can hum songs, and she can chew food. She doesn't need a, a feeding tube now. She can chew and swallow on her own. With a little help, she can even feed herself with a spoon. She is ornery, and she makes messes just to get a reaction from her family. Uh, because of her brain trauma, she's never been able to use her right arm or her right leg. And then Lenny shared that just a few months ago, they went over to visit some friends. They wheeled Ruby in in her wheelchair, parked her in the living room as they've done a million times. All of a sudden, with no announcement, Ruby reaches down with left arm and right arm and began to move herself in her wheelchair. The whole evening was disrupted by this. All the attention went to Ruby. A couple of weeks ago, Lenny shared on her blog uh, another milestone for Ruby. Now, Ruby is able to sit up if she's placed in a seated position. But on this particular day, they laid her down in the floor. And again, with no announcement, no warning, Ruby pushed herself up into a, a seated position. Day by day. Because of God's grace, they see these amazing things happen. When everyone else looked at Ruby, they saw death, they saw hopelessness, they saw endless burden, they saw no God. But for Dwight and Lenny, their faith was in the Lord. And they believed in him without a guarantee. They had no idea this is the little girl they would have today. No idea. But their faith was in the Lord, no matter the outcome, no matter what happened, because he's good, he's trustworthy. He's a deliverer, and sometimes he delivers from this mortal coil to eternity, and sometimes he gives the grace of more days here in the family. It's all grace, and it's all trustworthy, and it's all deliverance, and it's all Jesus Christ. Their faith didn't depend on the results. They trusted in Jesus no matter the results. You're in a crisis today, so let's wrestle with the question Jesus asks his disciples in this boat. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? The hard days come. You're in the midst of it. Brother, sister, where's your faith today? Are you dictating orders to God? Are you disenfranchised because you feel like he's done you wrong? Where is your faith today? Oh, the word of God calls us to trust in the Jesus who is trustworthy and who is a deliverer. I promise he will hold you fast, just like you declared a moment ago. He will not let you down, will not let you go. Why should you trust in Jesus when your life is a wreck? One, because he sees the situation right. Two, he is a trustworthy deliverer. Three, Jesus is God. All we need is that one line and the sermon's done. He's God. Jesus rebukes the storm and all of a sudden, there's stillness and quiet. I imagine all, that's, all the noise that you hear once the storm dissipates instantly is just dripping disciples on the deck of the boat. And all of a sudden, for the disciples, the power that was outside the boat is not nearly as terrifying as the power that's inside the boat. Storms are scary. But when someone calms the storm with their words, that's terrifying. Now, prior to this moment, 
Jesus has done some remarkable things. This is not the first miracle they've seen from Jesus. This is the first miracle of this type, sure, but not the first miracle. Luke tells us in chapter 4, Jesus casts out a demon. and Then he heals a bunch of people. In chapter 5, he heals a leper. Later in chapter 5, he heals a lame man. Chapter 6, he heals a man with a paralyzed hand. In chapter 7, he heals the centurion's slave. Also in chapter 7, he raises the widow's son from the dead. The disciples have been present for these. They've seen these things. But in the face of crisis, they forget what they know. And they let the size of the storm dictate their perception of reality. They interpret the facts as if there is no God. Storm bad, death imminent, that's the end of their story. They become practical atheists at the height of the storm. They discard God and all of a sudden Jesus in His grace steps up, quiets the storm, brings rescue. They're left with one question. Jesus asks a question of them, where's your faith? They ask a question of each other, who is this? They know who he is, but who is this that wind and waves obey him? Let's answer their question. Who is this? Jesus is God in the flesh, born of a virgin. His birth is accompanied by an angel choir. He's the one that all of human history pointed ahead to and now points back to. He is sinless, holy, perfection. He's the one who created all things. And as creator, he has all power over everything in creation. He willingly gave himself to be killed in the place of sinners, in the place of us. The holy, sinless God became sin so that sinners like us could become righteous. Three days after he died, he rose from the dead. A historical fact attested to by hundreds of people. His power is unlimited. His holiness is perfect. His judgment is terrifying. His love is undeniable. He is gracious and merciful and kind and amazing. He is our deliverer. He is your God. That's who this is. Who cares how loud the thunder is and how much it rains? You've got a deliverer God on your side. He will not let you down. These poor, scared, drenched disciples, I think the storm is beyond the power of Jesus. Little do they know, God is with them in the boat. So you've got to trust in Jesus because He sees the situation right. Because he delivers. Because he is God. And finally, a fourth reason to trust Jesus. Jesus uses trials to change us for good. He uses these trials to change us for good. Uh, We read quickly past a detail at the beginning of the story that intrigues me. If we go back to verse 22, look at what it says. Verse 22, one day... Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. You might have a footnote that says, Jesus then snickered because he knew what was coming next. And the disciples said, what's so funny, Jesus? And he goes, oh, nothing. I was thinking about something else. Do you think Jesus knew what the weather pattern was going to be that day? Any chance that the one who is sovereign over the sea knew that there was a storm coming? 
He puts his disciples directly in the path of this moment because he wants to shape something in them. He wants to change them for their good. It's a long lesson over the course of several years. They don't fully grasp the lesson until they see the empty tomb and see the risen Savior. But here he's forming in them something new and different and better and good. The story shows that there's no wasted experiences. You go through the hard time, Jesus is in that with you, and you may not understand why, and you may not have an answer to why on this side of eternity. But there's no wasted experience. Jesus uses it all to glorify himself, to shape us, to change us, to purify our faith in him. James, the brother of Jesus, was on the boat that day. And he saw the storm, and his conclusion was the same as the rest. We're going to die. That's the chorus he sang with the rest of the disciples. And then he saw Jesus rebuke the storm. He saw Jesus show his power over nature. And then James is among the disciples who are mildly rebuked by Jesus for their lack of faith. And how do we know that James was shaped by this experience? Well, It was several years later that James wrote the following words. Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. What the enemy intends for our destruction, God redeems for our good. No one is damaged beyond repair. No situation is a wasted experience. He uses it all to shape us and to mold us. Now, I've told you some reasons why you should trust Jesus. And he sees it right. He's a deliverer. He's God. He uses the trials to change us for good. How do you trust Jesus? The how of trusting Jesus is not some nebulous, fuzzy idea. It's not finding peace within yourself and then it's all good. There are a couple of concrete ways I would encourage you to trust Jesus today. When the crisis comes, we trust Jesus in this way. First through prayer, we go to Him. And in prayer, the psalmists teach us how to talk to God. Honestly, with our fears and our doubts and our worries and our concerns, we bring all these to our Savior And in that prayer moment, we also express our trust to Him, our reliance upon Him. I don't know what's happening. It feels like you're gone. It feels like you've forgotten me, but I'm going to trust in you. My song is not going to change. I'm going to trust in you through all of this. We trust in Jesus by going to Him in prayer. We also trust in Jesus in this way, by responding to the crisis according to His Word. We cannot trust Jesus right if our faces are not in this book. Because trust is not necessarily just letting go and letting God. Trust is also obedience. So imagine this scenario with me. Your crisis is of a personal conflict variety. Say there's a coworker that for some unknown reason is out to get you. Tension is building. The fight is building. It's, it's coming to a head. And inside your Jesus-loving brain, all you want to do is rip their face off. That's all you want to do. 
And you've got good reason to do this. You come to Jesus in prayer. Here's the conflict. This person is saying these things, doing these things. I don't understand it. And then you get in front of Mark chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus says, You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So trust in Jesus means I mold my life to this word. And I go from plotting acts of violence and revenge to finding a recipe for their favorite dessert or a prayer for their family or a prayer for whatever the thing is that makes them so nasty. And I commit to carry them to the Lord in prayer on a regular basis. Trusting the Lord is praying. Trusting the Lord is patterning your life after the explicit Word of God. Faith is evidenced by obedience every time. So why should you trust in Jesus? Why should you go to Him when the hard day comes? This story tells us that Jesus sees things right. He's a trustworthy deliverer. He is God, and in case you needed one more, He uses our trials to change us. He's so very different from you and I. We do not see things right. We cannot deliver ourselves. We are finite humans, not God. And our trials under our own power, they don't change us, they crush us. So I want to ask you the same question Jesus asked his disciples in this story. Where's your faith? We could approach this question, I think, from two different perspectives. The first is the way we would normally read this. It's a mild rebuke from Jesus to his disciples. You wake me up in a panic. Don't you remember what you've seen, what I've done, what I've said? So he's rebuking them for their lack of faith in the moment. They should have awakened Jesus with faith in hand. Jesus, there's a big storm. Don't know how this is going to work out but we're going to trust you with it. And then Jesus would do what Jesus does. So that's one way we could answer that question. But maybe we approach it from a different perspective as well. What if Jesus meant this question not as a rebuke for a lack of faith, but as an invitation to trust in the one who has quieted the storm? Wind and waves, cut it out. They cut it out. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, now, where's your faith? He's done more for you than just quiet thunder and rain. He died on the cross in your place. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And he asked the question to you in light of that testimony. Now, where is your faith? You're going to keep your faith in yourself, in your assessments, in your abilities. Or will you put your faith in the one who loves you so much? He laid down his life and gave everything to deliver you from all of this. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus for your salvation, this is the day you can come to know him as your deliverer. Putting your faith in Jesus doesn't mean getting baptized. It doesn't mean that you're dedicated as an infant. It doesn't mean that uh, you've done certain religious acts or you've been a certain moral type of person. Those things are good. Those things are important. Those things are not where salvation is found. Salvation is found when in the midst of my sin crisis, I turn to Jesus and I say, save me. And he does. Every time, he does. 
He will do it once for you and for all, and He will not change His verdict on your soul. He will hold you fast. You are His forever when you trust in Him. What if you're already a Christian, already walking with Jesus by faith, and today you're in a crisis? Do not be discouraged. I'm not saying paint on a happy face and be a plastic person, but don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid anymore. Jesus, the Deliverer, is on your side. So trust in Him and walk in line with His Word and worship with your brothers and sisters and share your burden with other believers. But do not grow weary in your faith. Pay attention to your holiness. Glorify God with your words and your thoughts. Resist hatred and vengeance. Love your enemies. Trust the Lord no matter what. Today we've seen an amazing story of an amazing Savior. Wind and waves obey Him. Will you? Let's pray together. Father, seated in these pews are your children whom you know by name and you have walked every step with them. They have not one moment been alone. There are times that we have felt alone. There are times the crisis has been too much for us to bear. But God, we know you are good and you are with us. You are near to the brokenhearted. When we cry to you in the moment of crisis, you answer from within the crisis, not some distant part of the universe. God, this morning I lift up my brothers and sisters to you today. Join with them in their prayer for grace and mercy and deliverance, all that comes from you. You know every precious story. And Lord, you know what deliverance looks like. Let deliverance start with our faith placed in you to be rescued from our sin and its penalty. Lord, bring salvation in this moment today. Awaken faith in hearts. And for those who today are hard-pressed on every side by life, God, let them find in you a trustworthy Savior. And without knowing the outcome, without knowing the direction, Lord, let it be clear that their faith is in you and no place else. And in that faith, Lord, give them rest, bring some quiet to their souls. Father, bring some peace to their days as they trust in you. Teach us to suffer with faith. Teach us to follow our crucified and resurrected Savior. Let our testimonies to our friends and our loved ones be of the God who has never let us down. So that no matter what, we're trusting you. Father, we love you. Because you first loved us. And so this morning, let our response to you be one of faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.